Okay, hello, and welcome to the latest episode of EdTech Today. Carrie, great to see you. Uh, as I mentioned before recording, love your background. I think it's one of the top, uh, probably top three of all my podcast guests in terms of background. Uh, and, and also congratulations uh, on, on your new position. Thank you so much. It's an exciting change. Yeah, so uh, let's get right into it. Um, up until this point, you were in uh, the Washington uh, DC school district, correct? That's correct. And now uh, tell us a little bit about uh, the flip over to, to Lexia and, uh, and what you, your plans for your work there. Wonderful, thank you for asking. So yes, for the last 20 plus years, I have been working for uh, Washington DC public school systems as a teacher and as a central office administrator in special education. Um, I'm excited at this time to leverage so much of what we've learned from the past year about instruction and technology and the role of the teacher and students learning and uh, have this new chance with Lexia. Several of my Washington DC BS colleagues made the move to Lexia because it is so philosophically aligned to the work that we do in a large urban school district. And it felt very comfortable and exciting for me to be able to experience the work from a different paradigm. Yeah, it was, and there's so many different ways we can go uh, with this conversation. Unfortunately, we still have to uh, start each of these uh, with the context of the current pandemic and its effect yeah. on school districts and its effect on students. And uh, considering now with Lexia Learning, and I've, I've spoken with uh, a, a number of folks uh, from Lexia and from uh, Cambrian, let's talk about what learning loss means, or if that's even a phrase that is in um, your wheelhouse when it comes to describing the past 18 months. I've had some conversations with folks who uh, are disturbed um, by some of the statistics that have come out. Um, they're disturbed about the, the lack of learning that has happened. There, there's another camp that talks about saying, you know what, considering the circumstances, things haven't been so bad, and maybe we shouldn't call it learning loss, but unfinished learning, that now we could be in a place where we can bring people back up and we can actually look back on the past 18 months and be kind of proud of what has happened specifically here in the States in terms of keeping students connected as much as we have been able to. Uh, talk a little bit about that. I mean, where, where do you sit in that spectrum of, uh, of thought? That's the million dollar question, isn't it? I think the term that we are using and comfortable using is unfinished learning. There has been an undeniable shift in what we expect of students and teachers. Students and teachers and parents made an extraordinary pivot to distance learning with no preparation at all. We have gained phenomenal skills and insights as a result of having to make such an abrupt pivot and then having to sustain that pivot because in March of 2020, we thought maybe two weeks, maybe four, and never expected the distance learning to continue in this capacity. Um, districts have made investments in technology that we never would have made in technology infrastructure as well. Um, and students and parents and teachers deserve to sustain those investments and the skills that they have built over time um, in order to reach one another and continue the learning. There will undeniably be gaps, we see them. Those gaps are academic, they're also social and emotional. 
Kids have been away from their friends. Teachers have been away from their colleagues. School leaders have been away from their buildings. So the recovery period will be significant, but we've gained where we've lost. And I think if teachers and students have shown us anything over the last year and a half is that they will stop at nothing to get to each other and to the learning. So there's a very solid ground of new learning, new technology, new ways of being together that we can leverage while we recover um, what we have lost and, and that loss is real. Yeah. So um, in your opinion, it's we're not going to go back to normal, right? I mean, I know I hear a lot of people talking that with the SWIFT uh, vaccination program that has been put into place, and especially with children as young as 12 being able to be vaccinated, that this fall, um, I think people are hoping to be back to normal, whatever that means. But it doesn't sound like you see that, uh, that happening, huh? No, I think in life forward is the only direction we have. We only go forward. And back to normal was not good for a lot of kids. Normal wasn't comfortable for a lot of students in public school, especially students with disabilities and students with IEPs. And we've learned too much to go back. Mm. Um, something that we know is that the instructional core did not change. The instructional core, teachers, students, and their content is the foundation of learning. That's, that's where the learning is. And that didn't change. And that relationship between students and teachers and kids with each other did not change. So brick and mortar school is a, is a deeply held institution that we want to retain for most kids and families. Some kids were really able to thrive in an online environment. And I think it would be extraordinary if we could sustain some degree of distance and blended learning for the students and teachers for whom it really worked well. Yeah, in, in other conversations, and I know you have um, great experience in, this, in the special education sector, uh, mm -hmm. as well as working in DC. Uh, with uh, probably Title I schools and a, a certain underserved uh, community amongst that district, um, that there were some unintended positives that came out of this. For instance, just the way that we're talking with each other, uh, I've spoken to some school districts who found that this is a great way to have an IEP meeting, um, not only logistically trying to get the seven people that would need to be in a room at the same time, but also some of the, um, maybe some of the dynamics that would happen in person that are kind of taken away and, and equaled out. Can you talk a little bit about your experience when it comes to that? Sure, I think you, you, you hit the nail on the head with some of the distance learning that we would want to sustain is the ability to bring large groups of people together much more simply. The reality of childcare obligations, adult work obligations, navigating driving and parking in a big city, that's a lot to bring people together. And something that we were able to do during this period of distance learning is bring lots of adults to the table to support one another or talk about one child. And we were able to reach more people that way. Um, I think most of us agree, parents and teachers and students agree, a classroom is the right place for students and teachers to be together. But for adults to be able to talk across different buildings and parents and related service providers to be able to gather from different settings to come and talk about one child, that's a big benefit. 
that alleviates a lot of pressure and gives us more access to each other. And then educationally, that would allow students to connect with more and different content that may not be available in their school building. So you think about high school students who have a range of interests and a range of career hopes and dreams and college career hopes and dreams. Every high school doesn't have every single thing. So this distance learning could allow kids to plug into different learning opportunities as well. Yeah, and, and as far as the equity piece goes to that, I've also heard conversations about districts um, who don't have enough support. And you were mentioning social emotional aspects of, of the past uh, 18 months or so, uh, where you know we've all needed to have some sort of emotional support one way or another, but when you have underserved communities and underserved districts where you might have one counselor for a thousand kids, um, telehealth and telemedicine applications to have synchronous communications for students was a, a, a discovered benefit that where that one counselor now um, could have other cost-effective counselors to help remotely, right? Is that something that you saw in DC schools? We did. We, I think when we talk about students um, from underserved communities, the students are incredibly bright and resilient and capable. And the question has always been, do the adults understand and have the right tools to reach those students and unlock everything that they're bringing to us? And in some cases, the technology did help us reach more students and more families. Um, I don't want to paint a rosy picture for a very draining and demanding year um, because it was that. And there was a global pandemic that was so impactful of how we learn while in this country, we also had a parallel renewed civil rights movement um, with the murder of George Floyd and that protest aftermath that deeply impacted children and their families and teachers and administrators who, who grieve deeply the, the state of racial trauma in the country. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, now let's focus um, going forward. So while the fall won't be normal, um, what, are your, what's, what, what are your kind of uh, speculations there? I mean, it's, is it going to be, I've, I've talked to many districts who are gonna retain uh, some sort of hybrid setup and not even because of COVID, but just because they found, as, as you mentioned, that some students thrive in that sort of environment. Some seem to have uh, plans to just kind of have a separate online academy, almost like what you see with some of the virtual charter schools. Uh, and then some big districts, I don't know about the DC, but I know like New York City and the state of New Jersey uh, have both said, nope, we're shutting them down. We're going back in person. Um, can uh, Have you taken a temperature on that and where you, you see that situation falling? The temperature check seems to indicate most districts really hungry to return to a brick and mortar experience for the vast majority of our students and especially elementary school students. Um, I would say elementary and middle school students who are less independent um, of, their, of their parents. So I think most districts are returning to a brick and mortar school experience five days a week. There are still opportunities to leverage the technology investments we have made in one-to-one -one devices, the learning platforms that students have become really accustomed to using and teachers 
the agility that teachers showed and learning all of these multiple platforms and models are things that we do want to retain um, so that we can individually track and diagnose the loss that happened so that we can narrowly target gaps. Yeah, yeah. Talk about um, the use of uh, data through all this. I know Alexia has uh, tracked uh, your customers uh, pretty closely, you know, the students, uh, in terms of you know gains and losses and the usage of, of, of products. Uh, do you think there's going to be a change behavior now because of that? I mean, think of it as you did as, as an educator, where maybe um, you know five years back, what do you think about the use of data in, in following students versus now? Sure. Five years is a long time ago in terms of data and technology. It feels like 10. Yeah. It's hard to remember five years ago. Um, I think what's most exciting about Lexia and about similar platforms is the ability to individually diagnose and target narrow skills that may need recovery, or perhaps they need to be built. They were never developed in the first place. There's a tendency if a child struggles to think there's a very broad answer to that struggle. And when we come back to school in the fall, I think we want to narrow as, as accurately and deeply as we can, which skills need more um, practice and recovery so that we're not assuming, we're not looking at kids or teachers from a deficit model. Yeah. Kids are coming back to us resilient and strong and happy, and they are hurt and they have lost and they've experienced significant trauma either directly or watching their parents and grandparents grapple with all of the events of this last year. Um, I think there will be great joy and exhaustion returning to school. And it's going to evidence itself in a variety of ways. So the better we are able to diagnose the learning and the emotional recovery for students with IEPs, that would also be their related services. Um, and, and where we thought that no child in America is going to be where we thought they were going to be in the fall of 2021. So children with IEPs are no different in that regard. Um, I think we need to slow down and be patient with their learning and accept that this is going to be a longer recovery. The road to recovery is perhaps a bit longer than many of us would like. We want to accelerate student learning. We want kids to be happy and vibrant and comfortable. Um, we need triangulated data. So sometimes something that looks like a reading Difficulty is really an emotional barrier. Sometimes what's just an emotional barrier trauma shows up in looks like reading difference. So we need multiple sources of data and we want to look as much as we can at, at a narrow, narrowly target what kids need in terms of recovery and remediation. We don't want to slow them down. Right. Kids adapt quicker than we do. Right. Maybe talk a little bit about um, your expectations uh, from the educator perspective. Have you noticed uh, behaviors change um, as a result of the pandemic? Where before, when I would, I, I was still writing and interviewing folks, where we would talk about the importance of technology, and there was a still a certain cynicism amongst uh, educators about not only mm -hmm. the use of it but the use of data. Um, Many educators see themselves as much as uh, artists uh, as opposed to uh, accountants, right? I mean, that was a kind mm -hmm. of a, a thought that was there. Um, now we've had the greatest beta test in education history. 
Everyone has had to use these tools, whether they wanted to or not. I think there's a, a group consensus that um, we don't have to have that conversation anymore. I, I think it's pretty clear that it's a necessity. Do you think that that is a sentiment that will be shared by kind of the, the educa education community at large? I know I'm generalizing, but just kind of like, again, another, another temperature check. Generally speaking, teachers have risen to this challenge to a much higher level than I think even they expected. Even the more reluctant tech users, and I would have been one of them when I was in the classroom, um, learned to master that technology to reach students and became comfortable despite themselves to reach their students. So I do think that teachers have learned to welcome and explore and build confidence in technology that perhaps in the past they haven't. I think the relationship piece between teachers and students remains sort of the critical factor in student learning, the, the relationship between the teacher and the student, and that they have a warm and comfortable relationship where students can make mistakes and ask for help and grow. And we approach those mistakes with a growth mindset that this is more, the more we learn and communicate with each other, the more we'll, able to, the more we'll be able to assess what we need to target in terms of skills. Talk a little bit about, uh, again, within the context of your new position, many of our audience uh, are members of the ed tech industry, right? Mm -hmm. uh, talk a little bit about, um, is there now a different approach to how we should market or uh, sell to districts? And uh, I mean, even more specifically, um, it seems to me that there's a new part of that target market, which uh, are parents. Again, I mean, for 15 years, I've been writing about EdTech, probably wrote three stories that involved parents being involved in a dynamic when you talk about education. Now they've all become teaching assistants at best, um, but they've certainly, as a parent, I'm, I'm more involved with my students' education this past year than I have uh, since they've been in school. Um, to talk a little bit about um, how you think the industry can pivot or should pivot when it comes to dynamics such as that. Sure. I, I remember March, April, May of 2020 when the districts were shifting to distance learning or remote learning, online school. We had 100 names for it. And then it became clear to us, wow, what we're doing is, is homeschooling because the parents have to be so involved in helping children acclimate to the instructional device in navigating how to get online, to going around the various platforms and then keeping track of all of that information. So uh, poor parents in the early stages, and I'm like you, one of them as well, spent so much time helping children get to their teachers and leveraging this technology. I think the component that we will retain that's a real plus to schools and to kids is the adaptive blended learning model. So with adaptive blended learning, we're centering the teacher, the teacher will always be the most important factor, but that teacher needs access to really great data and really great instructional tools with a pedagogical background and a scientific background of research on which to stand. So we're getting the right thing in front of kids. Um, and when we talk about adaptive blended learning, we're talking about a role 
for the teacher and the whole class to be part of a dynamic and engaging lesson. And then parts that narrowly target what each child needs from that lesson. And then follow up. That's a little bit of online, a little bit of paper, pencil, a little bit of talking to peers and teachers. Uh, something that's really exciting about Lexia is because it so narrowly targets what children need, it helps teachers create groups of learning. You can have groups with a like need, a, a homogenous group of kiddos who are targeting one skill, and then a heterogeneous group of kiddos where they bring lots of different strengths. And kids learn from each other as well as they learn from us. And that's really been a big piece that's missing is that peer group and peer interaction. And if teachers have strong data to help create those learning circles and centers, it's just so much more lively. Helps reinforce skills that the kids don't have, but really allows kids to show what they can do. Kids can do lots of things. None of us are good at everything. Right. So uh, blended learning. I mean, that's another one of those phrases that uh, BP, before the pandemic, I would hear uh, at conferences and sessions, and we would talk about it, and it would be a theoretical thing. What you just described sounds after the experiences that uh, educators and districts have had, I mean, it really has been put to a, to a test, right? And so that's another thing that should stick around when we ever go back to whatever normal is. It absolutely should. I think the pendulum had to swing so far to this extreme experience for kids and teachers. And this adaptive blended learning is right in the middle and it's standing on science, it's standing on decades of research of how children learn and how teachers teach. And there's, there's a role for all of us in that. It's not one way, it's, just, it's not just paper pencil, it's not just teacher student, it's student student, it's paper pencil, it's technology. It could be a blend of home and in-person, I think. A lot of districts and, and families and teachers are very committed to coming back to the classroom, but kids get sick, kids go on vacation, parents need to go places. Um, I think having a strand of an online academy where children can always either access instruction or their classroom teacher um, is just a huge benefit and, and it allows families some flexibility too. Yeah. Well, Carrie, I usually try to wrap up these conversations with kind of a glass half full question to leave our audience uh, in, a, in a positive mood, but I don't need to do it because uh, this has been pretty positive all around, especially considering the circumstances. So I really appreciate your time and your insights. Uh, congratulations again uh, on your new position. And I look forward to speaking with you, you know, hopefully maybe in person at Anisti uh, when the, uh, the industry gets uh, back to normal. I would love that. Thank you so much for having me, Kevin. And thanks everyone for uh, clicking in. I hope you find another episode soon.